HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. It's Thanksgiving, so we're talking turkey with sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pecan pie. But we're also discovering some surprising truths about this holiday. As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth. And you know, a lot of the dishes came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that told us this is the product we should use. Every once in a while, though, the consumer creates the food trend. Care to top the turducken, anyone? Uh, I've got to give credit to this fellow that said this is the best pile of meat I've ever had and then said, but if you added bacon... Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Robertus in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I try to demystify it in this program. My cool guests. My guest today is Oscar Brickell, who is a Swedish tea expert based in Tokyo. And tea is definitely an essential element of Japanese culture. And if you visit someone's house in, in Japan, he or she will ask you, do you like a cup of tea? And of course, that's a Japanese-style green tea. So um, some people may find green tea bitter first, but there's a lot to enjoy far beyond the bitterness in the Japanese green tea. So today, uh, we'll discuss how Oscar fell in love with Japanese tea, how he learned about it, and how to drink Japanese tea properly, and much, much more. But before we start, uh, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japan Needs. Also, uh, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. 
Now let's start a conversation with Oscar Brakel. Hello, Oscar. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, um, so you have a very interesting background. Well, yes, maybe. <laughs> well, at least um, an unusual background, I would say. Mm. So let's start from uh, where you're from and uh, what did you drink when you grew uh, up? So I grew up in um, southern Sweden in a town called Malmo. And, well, Swedish people would mainly drink coffee, but for some reason both of my parents were tea drinkers. So uh, I would be drink, uh, drinking black tea, like Ceylon or uh, Assam, for example, when mm. I, at least from when I was a kid. Interesting. So there is... Um uh, they paved the way to well, <laughs> sort of in a, in a way, yes. <laughs> mm, interesting. But the, when and how did you come across the Japanese tea? Uh, it was during high school, and when we were reading about um, world history, uh, we were reading about the Meiji period in Japan when Japan was modernizing really rapidly. And I thought, uh, I, well, I found Japan as a country very fascinating and intriguing in many ways. Uh, Japan has sort of always. Uh, walked its own way and it's very different from its neighboring countries mm. and I always liked uh, reading books so after uh, reading well after the history class I started I started to read about Japan and Japanese culture and history by myself how mm. oh, interesting I don't re recall anything seriously I got interested in something like you did <laughs> in the history books so that's amazing um, so but you know the moment you had Japanese tea how, how was your feeling about um, it? <laughs> it wasn't love at first sip, definitely not. And I think that most, um, especially we especially Western people, they have would have a similar experience. I think a lot of people find Japanese tea bitter, maybe perhaps grassy, or some people would even say fishy because of the umami, you know, the mm. savoriness in the tea. And I wasn't any exception. So for me, uh, well, the reason that I started drink Japanese tea was to sort of experience Japanese culture. I saw it sort of as a gateway to Japan. I didn't have any, um, you know, Japanese environment around me that I could enjoy. So that's why I started drink green tea. But the first time I had it, I, to be honest, I didn't like the taste mm, at but all. But I was surprised that uh, you were able to purchase Japanese green tea <laughs> in uh, the South, South Sweden. Uh, actually, time. well, there was, uh, there was, there's a tea specialist in town. Well, there are a couple of them now, but uh, at the time um, there was a tea specialist in town. Uh, they were specializing in black tea, so mainly tea from India, Sri Lanka. Uh, but they had a few uh, kinds of, or a few types of Japanese tea. Mm. Interesting. So, um, so uh, of course, Japanese tea changed your life, which we're going to talk yeah. about now. But, <laughs> but in a sense, what is so special about Japanese tea for you? Well, I think that most Western consumers still think of Japanese tea as a health-promoting beverage. A lot of people would, you know, uh, want to absorb a lot of the polyphenols. They want to get healthy. For me, it's a lot more. It's, um, it's about um, getting sort of in touch with nature, getting... Uh, peace of mind, getting a moment of peace. Uh, when you're having Japanese tea, even if you're here in New York City, you can sort of enjoy Japanese nature uh, or the Japanese um, tea plantations, the mist-clad um, uh, foresty mountains of Japan, because it tastes kind of like it actually, uh, or, or the aroma that you're enjoying when you're having Japanese tea is actually similar to how the mountain smell. Mm. So in that sense, I think Japanese tea is very different from, for example, black tea or oolong tea, which is, of course, very good as well. But uh, it kind of really tastes like nature. Mm, so you have sort of a cup of nature. Yeah. Right. Um, I, a couple of months ago, I went to um, uh, the tea event, tasting event by Yame uh, region. Oh, yeah. Region of Fukuoka, in Fukuoka, right? Yeah. And uh, it was super premium tea. But I didn't know that the, the farmers are there and the passion 
the devotion to tea was how far beyond expected. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think that um, a lot of consumers in the West, maybe perhaps even consumers in Japan, don't realize that there uh, there's a lot of hard work behind tea making. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, good tea is not something that just... Um, that is just there by chance. Mm. Uh, uh, there is a lot of skill and a lot of hard work. Right. Yeah, that reminded me of, um, you know, even closer than coffee, uh, closer to winemaking, because, of, you know, estate vineyards, you grow and you have investment in your mind as well, not just physical labor and money. And uh, you're patient and you grow with uh, your products. And, I mean, of course, coffees are great but you know there's a division between coffee bean producers and actual processors yeah yeah so yeah the point point is very um tea is it's just a cup of tea but it's it's really like you know it's almost like a bordeaux wine that kind of equivalent to me yes and, and then there are other elements to it as well uh, especially when it comes to japanese green tea uh, one thing that I find very appealing and very interesting is that you can steep your tea in many different ways. You can, uh, for example, make a cold infusion using cold water, and that will uh, bring out the natural sweetness and the natural uh, umami, the richness and savoriness of the tea. However, if you're using very hot uh, water, you're going to end up with uh, a tea strong in astringency and bitterness. Mm-hmm. And then again, if you're using kind of lukewarm water or something in between, you're going to end up with a perfect balance of all the taste elements. So... Japanese tea can be adjusted to your own taste or if you're steeping tea for someone else, you mm. can adjust it to the taste of the person Interesting. That you're right. serving tea to them. Mm. So that's why we need someone like you as an expert. <laughs> <laughs> right. But well, quickly, you know, we, you keep saying Japanese tea, but what's the basic difference between Japanese and Chinese tea, for instance? Uh, well, th- the main difference between uh, Chinese green tea uh, on one hand and Japanese green tea on the other hand uh, would be the production method. Uh, in China, they would mainly panfire their teas. You need to add heat in some way or another. So in China, they would uh, panfire their fresh leaves, and in Japan, they would steam their f- fresh leaves. Mm. So uh, Chinese teas, uh, which are uh, great, by the way, too, uh, but they would have sort of a slightly roasted flavor, mm. whereas um, uh, when it comes to Japanese tea, uh, they kind of try to alter the taste as little as possible, alter mm. the aroma and the taste, sort of to retain, well, the aroma, natural aroma and the natural taste mm. are sort of retained as you try to turn tea into dry product and in that sense I think it goes very well with uh, Japanese food culture and mm. the way uh, Japanese uh, think about food like sashimi for example you just you cut raw fish you try not to alter the mm. taste but still you're turning it into food and I think you can find something similar a similar way of thinking mm. a similar approach Right. When it comes to Japanese tea. That is, I agree. So it's like uh, the mindset to preserve the nature's yeah. natural, like national, unnatural bounty. Right. So, yeah, the other day I was had a conversation with someone and uh, we were talking about how the nature um, kind of reigns Japanese mindset. So like uh, Shintoism. Yeah. Yeah. We have like 8 million gods in our daily life because they're they exist in nature so that kind of mindset uh, goes in food and tea of course like you probably said. yes yeah interesting mm-hmm. um so now you are based in tokyo and work as a tea instructor so let's talk about how you got to where you had your first sip of tea and then <laughs> got here so first of all um let's talk about japanese your japanese 
language skills. That's amazing. We, we got to know each other, and I got your first message. I, I couldn't believe. I thought it was someone was writing for you. <laughs> something including kanji, you know. Oh, I wish I had something, someone writing for me. I, I kind of need a secretary because I get a lot of uh, mm. emails from people all, all across the globe uh, recently. But no, I'm, I'm writing everything myself, and mm. including everything I write on social media. Right. It, it's not just perfect, but you know, like, um, you know, Kego or, res- you know, the respectful Honorifics, terms. Yeah. Right. It's, it's better than me. <laughs> I mean, meaning, I'm, I'm pretty good at Japanese language, but it's really impressive. So, but how did you do that? Oh, well, I, I think I had um, a very good teacher. Uh, well, I was studying Japanese uh, for uh, two years at my university back home in Sweden. Uh, it's called Lund University, Sweden's largest university. And at the Japanese department there, uh, they had, um, or they, uh, they were employing a different studying method from most other universities, whereas most people would just be translating texts. We uh, had to speak a lot of Japanese. Uh, there were a lot of conversation classes, and you weren't allowed to speak Swedish during the classes. Mm-hmm. It was very strict uh, in a sense, but I think it was necessary uh, because otherwise, I mean, Japanese is such a hard language, and if you really want to progress, you really need to sort of put pressure on mm-hmm. yourself. And uh, so we had a lot of... Um, conversation classes but not only that of course we had to do a lot of reading as well one of the most difficult things when you're learning Japanese especially if you're uh, born in the west would be the characters Mm. Um, because they're using uh, phonetic Japanese characters and then Chinese characters as well and the Chinese characters they can be read in many different ways so basically I think that well apart from the studies I mean I had um, I had good teachers at university but I also would you know uh, watch a lot of Japanese uh, TV shows, dramas, um, movies, whatever. Mm-hmm. So when I got home, since I'm in Sweden, I mean, I'm not surrounded by Japanese. So I sort of created an environment mm. where I was uh, surrounded by Japanese. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that's the best way, right? Because learning language from textbook is it's really hard because you cannot imagine easily what kind of situation you're going to be in. But yes. with the drama and the more you know, popular programs in Japan, you are really diving into the situation as if you were in Japan. Yeah, I think that that, that definitely makes sense. I, I think I usually tell a lot of Japanese people whenever they ask me, how did you learn Japanese? I mean, because a lot of Japanese are struggling with English or other languages for that matter. And I usually tell them that it's not enough to only uh, read textbooks uh, and, you know, study mm-hmm. Uh, like that, you need to actually try to use the language, and if you want to um, be able, become able to speak in, in in a manner that sounds more naturally, you really need to uh, get in touch with uh, natural uh, English or or French or Chinese or whatever you're studying. But uh, I think movies are great uh, mm. in that sense, and also you should try to spend as uh, much time as possible with uh, native speakers. Mm. So that's what I did too. Right. Yeah, so um, so let's go into that yes. <laughs> experience. So you went to Japan, right? And uh, so uh, let's let's talk about what your visit, first visit to Japan, and what happened. Oh, my first visit to Japan that was back in two thousand and six, and I basically didn't uh, speak any Japanese at the time. I just came as a tourist, and I did some homestaying at different places. I was traveling around in Japan for three months, and one of the reasons that I went to Japan was, of course, for tea. But not only that, Japan was. Um, 
a country that I had wanted to go for and go to for many years. Well, at least since high school. So it was a society that I wanted to experience, mm. and not only by looking at documentaries, but I, you know, I want I wanted to experience the society firsthand or you know, mm. by myself. Well, actually being there, uh, but. Um, yeah, I think that was an amazing trip. You know, all the food, all the... There are a lot of things in Japan. I, I almost uh, keep forgetting that because I've been to Japan now for six and a half years. But when you're in Japan for the first time, especially if you're if you're brave, uh, well, I mean, speaking uh, about, uh, well, food, and if you're uh, culinary uh, brave, whatever, uh, you uh, there are a lot of interesting things in Japan. Some things would even... <laughs> uh, it would even be very difficult to tell whether they're made from something from the animal kingdom or the kingdom of plants, like konyaku, for example, mm. or, uh, or a lot of different mochi things, sticky rice things. And uh, I mean, it's just it's just <laughs> a lot of fun if you're there for the first time. And of course, I did get to uh, discover a lot of good teas as well. Mm, right. So, but it's amazing, right? You had uh, already had uh, some taste in Sweden about tea and then you really travel for the purpose finding more about tea so that's impressive yeah but uh, at the time tea was still a hobby so I would just buy a lot of teas buy as many teapots as I could fit in my into my suitcase uh, but it wasn't until I uh, went back to Sweden that I actually started thinking that oh maybe I could turn this hobby of mine into mm. into a career or a life work Mm, so how did it happen? Well, uh, there was um, uh, well, I, I got some Japanese friends during my stay in Japan, and one of them came over to see me in Sweden. And uh, uh, my friend, when she saw my room, you know, with all the Japanese teas and all the teapots, she was like, "Hey, you, you, you seem to like Japanese tea way too much. <laughs> uh, why don't you become a Japanese tea instructor?" And I was like what's that? And she was like, um, I don't know. Well, she wasn't in the tea industry, but she was like, um, I think it's like a smaller education or a barista education, but the Japanese green tea version. And I was like, no, you're kidding me. I mean, if there is such an education, I just, you know, mm. or such a certificate, I just have to get it. Mm. So it only took me a couple of seconds. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And at the time I was studying philosophy at university. I was majoring in philosophy um, at university, but I actually quit philosophy without uh, graduating and sort of re-entered a university uh, to uh, study at the Japanese department. Mm. So that's the uh, university in Japan? Uh, no, that no. was uh, still in Sweden. Uh, oh. I was studying for one year in Japan as an exchange student mm. um, in a city called Gifu, which is uh, uh, sort of right in the middle of Japan, or mm. in the middle of the country. Right, relatively close to Shizuoka. Yeah, which is, yes, uh, and they, the they do have uh, tea plantations in Gifu as well. Right, yeah. okay. So, yeah, but I heard that, uh, so you went to um, Japan and spent a year in Japan, and then you worked for a Japanese company in Sweden? Uh, no, that was no. actually in Japan. Mm. Uh, so, and yeah, that was a difficult time. I spent two years as a, a Japanese salaryman, you know, <laughs> and... And uh, uh, the company that I was working for, they had, it wasn't tea related at all, but they had uh, Norwegian partners. So they needed someone who could speak uh, Scandinavian languages. Well, Swedish and Norwegian would be very similar and also English and Japanese. But uh, when I entered the company, I realized after, after a couple of days that almost all my work, everything I did, all, all the tasks, they would be in Japanese, emails, phone calls, everything. <laughs> and if you're the youngest person at uh, a Japanese firm, especially if it's a conservative firm, you have to take all the phone calls and oh the, 
really have you doing a lot of things. So, you know, I was basically crying uh, on my way back from work. And I had just, you know, moved to Tokyo. And the only thing I had in my apartment was, well, I had a fridge uh, and uh, I had a mattress. That was about it. <laughs> and I was like so confused with the language and the culture and everything. The corporate culture in Japan, it's so different mm. from uh, everything I knew. Uh, it was so different from everything I knew. Mm, but sounds like that was a good uh, gateway to get <laughs> immersed into the world of Japanese yeah, culture. Yeah, it was sort of an expressway into Japanese society. I think a lot of foreigners that live in Japan, uh, even if they're in Japan for 15 years or 20 years, a lot of them would speak Japanese to some degree, but you know they wouldn't read newspapers and they wouldn't be like, how could I say, like like full members of society mm. but i think those two years really did it for me right and you got paid for that too so yes that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> right and the, so you you got you had the uh you earned the license of tea instructor yes. right and then i also heard you worked at uh shizuoka-ken chagyo-kenkyu center which is like uh what is that yeah like that's that? a uh, tea research center mm -hmm. and that has been around for um uh, 110 years actually mm. so they're celebrating their 110th anniversary uh, year anniversary well anniversary this year but um i was there as a trainee for a year so basically what i was doing i wasn't a researcher but i was helping the researchers at the mm. facilities and uh, i was working at the tea fields i would be working at um well, in the tea factory. Mm. And also, of course, they they would have um, uh, a lot of literature right. uh, about tea. Uh, so it's uh, the private or the non-profit? It's, um, it's a prefectural. Mm -hmm. um, okay, Shizuoka Prefecture, which yes. is a, the, the kingdom of tea yes. in Japanese yes, tea. Yes, the largest tea growing region in right. Japan. Ah, so they have a scientific analysis and to improve the quality of Japanese tea. Yes, that kind of thing. yes. Wow, how cool is that? And they would breed cultivars, for example. That's something that I'm very interested in. For example, whenever you order wine, you can order a Cabernet Sauvignon or a Pinot Noir, for mm. example. Actually, you would find the same phenomenon in the world of Japanese tea. Mm. You have uh, cultivars like Yabukita, Koshun, Asatsu, and they all taste different. So they all have their unique uh, mm. taste and flavor. Right. I'm curious, though, are, are they creating a new like, varieties? Uh, they are, but it takes a lot of years. It takes a lot of patience. Uh, I was actually helping them with um, uh, crossbreeding different plants. Uh, the tea plant would not accept its own pollen. So you have one tea plant, and you um, would... Um, bring pollen from another tea plant and mm. that's how you crossbreed it and if everything goes well you get uh, a seed next year you plant that and then you get a small tea plant but uh, uh, if that tea plant grows well if it seems promising you would uh, take cuttings and you would sort of clone that mm. and that takes a couple of years before you have full-grown tea plants so when you're well uh, to uh, explain it uh, more shortly I, you could say that if you're breeding cultivars even if you're um, there in the beginning, uh, the chances of a cultivar actually being registered as mm. a cultivar, uh, well, first of all, it would take at least 25 years, about <laughs> 25 to 30 years. So mm. you're likely to work somewhere else uh, right. by the time everything is uh, Interesting. finished. Right. So in total right now, how many cultivars they have? Um, I don't know the exact number, but there are more than 100 only in Japan. Mm. And not all of them are registered. You, uh, anyone could, uh, m well, most of the registered cultivars, they would be uh, bred at tea research centers like the one in Shizuoka that mm -hmm. I was a trainee at but there uh, are other uh, 
centers at, well, in Kyoto, for example, and mm-hmm. Kagoshima, other tea growing regions, but some would be um, bred by farmers. So not registered, but, you know, mm-hmm. they would still uh, have their unique cultivars. Right. It sounds like, you know, say if you go to Italy, they say uh, they're like over 4,000 wine grapes, this yes. kind of thing. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> interesting. And uh, well, here's another question about what you did. It's like a Temomicha no Kyoshiho. Well, what is that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think a lot of people perhaps uh, in, in the West have an image of uh, Japanese green tea as being sort of, well, you know, hand-picked and handmade. In fact, uh, you would use um, different kinds of machines and different kinds of equipment to uh, produce or process uh, Japanese tea. So it's really rare to... Uh, come across handmade tea, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm interested in you know traditional crafts. And while I was living in Shizuoka, uh, I really wanted to take uh, handmade tea uh, or handmade sencha classes, mm-hmm. and I did so. And I also took uh, there is a test you can get this. It's called um, Kyoshiho in Japanese. It would be like the lowest rank within the world of well in the world of handmade mm-hmm. senchas, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it, uh, how would you translate that? It's kind of like assistant, n- not assistant teacher, but assistant instructor or something like that. Mm. Uh, but um, uh, I really wanted to do that. There are actually other foreigners, uh, except for me, that has taken the Japanese tea instructor certificate. We're the eight of us t- in total. Uh, but I wanted to sort of do something unique and also wanted to, you know, practice some kind of Japanese traditional craft. So mm. that was why I chose to do Handmade sencha, and I was actually the first foreigner ever. Mm, to amazing! Get the <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Thanks a lot. Wow! So, and then you worked for uh, Nihon Jushitsu Sokshin Kyogikai, which is yes, it's um, it's an organization. In, it's a nonprofit org- organization in Japan that uh, receives funds from the Japanese Ministry of Forestry and Agriculture mm. to promote Japanese tea overseas, and well, also in Japan, but uh, directed at foreign. Uh, at a foreign audience. Okay. Uh, so we would do anything from tea education, for example, and we also had a lot of buyers, well, people coming over from the U.S., for mm-hmm. example, people more from Europe, uh, to see tea plantations, to see tea producers, and to learn more about Japanese tea. And I was kind of guiding them, mm. uh, doing things like interpreting and... Right. Uh, well, ex- different. Uh, well, explaining about what is actually happening at the tea factories. Right. Well, I cannot think of better person than you. If I were <laughs> in the, in the I, committee, I, I'd say it's very weird though, because I mean, uh, they they have a lot of good things in Japan. Well, not only tea, but a lot of traditional crafts. But a lot, most Japanese, they wouldn't really be able to explain it in English. Mm. So there, I, I think that uh, Japan has a lot to offer, but. Um, Perhaps the Japanese are not always very good at branding their, mm, uh, very bad. their products. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I think a famous saying like uh, Sony of Mr. Morita of Sony. Yeah. If you make it, if it's good, people come buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's true. It's, it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and then you won an award called uh, Challenge. And oh, yes. the chart cha- is T in Japanese and CHA spelled in capital. That's yes. in 2016. So what is that? Um, well, first of all, um, I was awarded the, the challenge prize by the um, World uh, Green Tea Association, which is an organization based in Shizuoka. Mm. And they give this prize to, well, not only to young people, but mainly to young people or people who have entered the tea industry or people who are doing something different either within the tea industry or sort of people that come out from outside the tea industry and that are doing something for tea. Mm. And I was awarded the prize for my, um, well, I suppose my 
efforts everything i did you know i moved from my home country and well came all the way to japan only to study about japanese tea mm. and but actually at the time i still hadn't you know released any books i have three books now two in japanese one in english and mm. well, uh, the third one would be both in english and japanese but at the time i didn't have the books yet but i think it was kind of um, uh, i was kind of awarded the price to get encouraged and mm. it's kind of like yes keep keep, keep the uh, right. good work right. going. well i'm gonna uh, talk about really want to talk about your three books later because it's really important um well you know what let's talk about it now because you know, and you're on TV and radio, and it's like, you're huge in Japan about the tea world, and, you know. Um, so, what well, sounds like, so far, you know, the tea, it's just like Japanese sake. The this industry is trying to see what the opportunities are outside Japan, right? And the, you are the ambassador. So, um, but the, the books you wrote, they're all in Japanese, three of them? Uh, well, uh, my first two books, they were, they were only in Japanese. Um, the first one is uh, about sort of how I uh, um, how I met with Japanese, how I fell in love with Japanese tea mm. and what I experienced in Japan. And, um, and of course, about tea itself. The second book is about how to steep Japanese tea and how to enjoy Japanese tea in different mm. ways. So it's kind of a how-to, kind of an, I wouldn't say an instruction manual, but an illustrated instruction manual, mm. if you like, how you can enjoy uh, Japanese tea using water of different temperatures and, um, well, altering the uh, steeping parameters in, in different ways. My third book is um, it's actually both in English and Japanese, so it's a bilingual book. Mm. It can be read both in English, or if you want to challenge yourself or brush up your Japanese, uh, that's why I usually say whenever I do a tea class abroad, you mm. can read it in Japanese as well. So you have the information in both languages, and it's, it covers everything from tea-grown regions, how to steep Japanese tea, and of course, uh, one of my favorite uh, topics, uh, single estate Japanese tea, different mm. cultivars, uh, how they taste differently, the characteristics of the different um, uh, cultivars, and of course the characteristics of the tea, mm. different teas from different tea-grown regions. Right. Well, I'm going to put the links to your books on the show page, but uh, the first two books, um, so the first one is Boku ga koeshita Nihon cha no koto. The second one is Zero kara wakaru Nihon cha no tanushimi kato. So these two are targeting Japanese audience, yes. and like you said, because we Japanese people tend to take it for granted, you know, you don't question. So, what's the influence of the book to the Japanese audience? Do you think? Um, I've, um, I would say that I think that a lot of Japanese, they're well. First of all, they always get surprised to hear uh, or see that a foreigner, uh, you know, is doing all this for Japanese tea. You know. Come, uh, uh, me moving over from Sweden to Japan, learning the language and everything. And I think that um, it's a little bit unfortunate, but if a Japanese person would say exactly the same mm. thing that I say, uh, you wouldn't have the same impact. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, most Japanese, they would just take Japanese for granted. And it's not something that most people reflect upon mm. but from a foreigner's point of view Japanese tea is really unique in many ways like I said in the beginning of the show it has this uh, you know taste of nature all the natural uh, uh, aromas or uh, 
remain intact during the whole processing. And also you can steep it in many different ways. There are so many ways to enjoy Japanese tea. More so, I would say, I would say Japanese tea is a lot more flexible than coffee or black tea, for example. But most Japanese are not aware of this. Mm. But whenever you are steeping Japanese tea at a tea event for Japanese people, or whenever they read my articles, my books, or see me on a, t- uh, on a TV show, Uh, some people would try it themselves, and I get a lot of messages on Instagram, for example, and Facebook. And people are like, "Oh yeah, I tried to brew, uh, steep my tea like that, and mm. it was really great. I didn't know Japanese tea was as good as that." And, <laughs> or, I mean, I, I didn't used to drink Japanese tea, but uh, now after having seen your show, I'm drinking it every day at work. So it's it's very um, encouraging for me uh, because I did struggle a lot to get into the position where I am today. Uh, but uh, but uh, it's very encouraging for me to hear all this and to get all these messages from mm. people and to see that people actually are in, starting right. to enjoy Japanese tea. Interesting. Well, yeah, I think uh, that's really important, right? Like a Japanese mindset, I think. In good way, it's modest, but in bad way, yes. we lack confidence. Yes. So if somebody outside Japan says, it's a confirmation of, you know, something good about what we have oh okay let's just take a look it must be really valuable because we didn't know <laughs> that's the crazy mindset yes yes i, I definitely agree with you that, that's yeah I, i would say yeah that's definitely how it works in mm. japan or how the japanese mindset works right and uh i really think also that your bilingual the third book um so yeah i think uh like you said japanese tea is a gateway to the Japanese culture. So it's like uh, drinking, um, you know, black tea in England. Yes. Right, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah, I used to live in London and it's like, you you don't think of coffee so much as far as when I was there. And uh, it was a long time ago, but it's the cultural, what you share drink or would you like a cup of tea, that means something. Definitely, yes. Right? Yeah. So I think... Uh, I get the sense that that's another part of um, your efforts to educate people about the connected part of Japanese tea culture. Right. Okay, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, um, we'll talk about um, Oscar's uh, fascinating career as a tea consultant. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcast Live from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Dema, and my guest today is Oscar Buckhill, who is a Swedish tea expert based in Tokyo. So, uh, so you work as a Japanese tea instructor, 
So what kind of um, work, I mean, project do you work on? Uh, well, first of all, uh, tea instructors, they would do a lot of different things. Um, some would be teaching how to steep Japanese tea at schools in Japan, for example, to raise awareness of um, well, uh, Japanese tea and uh, to sort of, well, because now we have a lot of beverages in Japan, coffee, black tea, for example, mm -hmm. and in order for green tea sort of not to be forgotten, a lot of activities are performed, for example, at schools or um, could be shopping malls anywhere. Uh, as for me, I would probably be an unusual uh, tea instructor, uh, being on television every once in a while, but I also do a lot of tea events, tea classes, and most of my events would be... Um, tea events where you could drink uh, or try different mm. tea from different tea growing regions uh, or tea made from different cultivars of the tea plant and I would of course uh, also arrange the tea well uh, everything in different ways uh, steeping mm. the tea using different temperatures of the water for example to adjust uh, the, uh, the taste and flavor or to accentuate different tastes and flavors so it's kind of like I think it would be close to a wine tasting session for example or uh, or a coffee tasting session if you like but mm. uh, only with the uh, Japanese tea right so yeah. um yeah now I'm curious that you know, like for our listeners, um, we have like 170 countries listening, you know, that's great listenership. So um, assuming you, you have only basic tea available in the market, but uh, what's the typical way to make tea? Like maybe you can give us like two minute version of your seminar <laughs> um uh, two minutes oh <laughs> yeah, we can do the three usually, or four <laughs> oh yeah usually i get at least an hour but no what i usually uh, say people if they don't have a lot of uh, experience about uh, well, well japanese tea i would uh, start by saying that well most people especially in the west they would drink japanese tea for its health benefits but with all the sushi and all the japanese food around i think that the, the western i think that western consumers are finally ready to um, appreciate the subtle tastes and aromas of Japanese tea. I think the Western palate has sort of evolved and that we're ready uh, to enjoy Japanese tea, not only for its health benefits, but also for its taste. And I would usually um, um, steep a couple of different teas, let people see what there is when it comes to Japanese tea. But uh, it would be centered around um, green tea or especially sencha, a type of steamed Japanese green tea. And I would introduce several different cultivars. Uh, I think that people uh, have sort of the image of Japanese tea as something difficult, you know, there are a lot of subtle tastes and it's very difficult to distinguish. Mm. But uh, the teas that I would be using, uh, it's actually, they would actually be, it would actually be really uh, easy to tell between mm. the differences. So you have some with herbal notes, for example, and some that have uh, more straightforward green tea uh, mm -hmm. taste profile, like a forest-like aroma. And then again, you have some teas with a flowery aroma and there wouldn't be any um, anything added there. Mm. It's just uh, the natural tastes and the flavors uh, from the cultivars. And when you let people experience this, they're like, I had no idea that uh, the very same scent I could taste so different. Mm. And they're, they're really different, especially if you're using single estate Japanese tea. But then again, I would of course show people if I have a, if I have a screen and a projector, I would show people how the what the plantations look like, and I would take people along sort of on a ride, mm. so they can actually see the uh, environment where the tea is made, and everyone I think would be able to tell the difference between the teas. It's um, uh, 
if they wouldn't, I would, I would be inclined to uh, call a doctor uh, mm. <laughs> and ha- have uh, him or her sh- uh, checking the taste buds of the participants. But I would really, you know, let people experience um, whatever there is, like uh, in the Jap- in the repertoire of Japanese tea, to mm. give them as a varied view as possible. Mm. Mm. Right. So, um, for example, if you go to like basic senjap and you you teach like us <laughs> one of us um what's what's the, the temperature or like any tips to make tea uh if you're unsure about how to steep your sencha uh you should uh, try to make a cold infusion everything you need is cold water preferably soft water if you have that depends a little bit upon uh, when you're uh, where you live mm. but if you have soft water uh, and tea leaves, that's the easiest way to steep Japanese tea. As long as, When you're using hot water, uh, especially if you're using close to boiling hot water, you're going to get a lot of astringency and bitterness, mm. and uh, that's going to put off a lot of people. A lot mm. of people uh, have a sort of bad first experience with Japanese tea because mm. they steep it like black tea. Usually you should um, lower the temperature, but the easiest way is to make a cold infusion. Uh, cold water, tea leaves, uh, leave it in a bottle for about... Um, at least two hours, mm. and uh, then you strain that or use a tea strainer whenever you pour the water, uh, sorry, pour the tea, mm. and you will be able to appreciate uh, or enjoy the natural sweetness of the tea. Mm. Uh, when, you're, when you're using cold water, you don't get a lot of bitterness in this drink. That's the easiest way. Huh. It's like a cold brew of yes. coffee. Yes. Mm. Um, I'm lazy. Can I just do it before I go to bed and drink? Next day, um, or it's yes, too long. Yes, actually, that's even better. Mm. And um, uh, if you want all the you know uh, recipes or how you steep tea, uh, uh, you should of course have a look at, uh, inside well my book. But um, that's actually the best way to do it. Mm. Uh, prepare your cold infusion or your cold brewed tea before you go to bed, and give it about I don't know for how long you sleep. I wouldn't sleep that much. I still live in J- and work in Japan, but well, leave it for about at least six, seven, eight hours. And, mm. uh, by doing so, you would, you will be able to bring out or extract uh, not only the taste but also the aroma of the tea. Mm, nice. Well, I'm gonna try that tonight. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, yeah. So you do different kinds of seminars, but do you usually? whole seminars in japan or outside japan um both actually uh well mostly in japan uh because that's where i live but uh whenever there is a government-sponsored project or tea education project for example uh in the u.s or or elsewhere for that matter uh i'm always happy to Mm. go abroad and to share uh, all the information and knowledge i have about uh, japanese tea uh, to Mm. A Western audience. So mm. I actually spent, uh, well, last year, well, in the year 2017, I had about 140 days on the road. Wow. And about 90 days um, I spent overseas. Wow. So in other countries than Japan. Mm. So um, so you said the government, local government, Japanese tea producing, you know, the prefecture, whatever, are going to send you and teach tea. Uh, they don't do it regularly, but there are a lot of different projects. And the Ministry of Forestry and Agriculture, they do fa- fund a lot of uh, projects as well. Mm. And uh, all, this time I'm here with the JETRO, the Japan External Trade Organization. Uh, they also in, uh, organize a lot of events overseas where they would promote Japanese uh, 
beverages or food. Um, of course, not only food. It could be anything from electronics and other mm. products as well. But um, uh, whenever they're doing tea, um, I make sure to be sort of, you know, uh, in touch with them because mm. I really love uh, traveling. And it's so nice to see that... Um, well, it's so nice to meet with tea lovers from mm. many different countries and to see how Japanese tea, regardless of nationality, race, religion, whatever, uh, is kind of uniting people. Mm. You, can become with, you can become friends with anyone. I mean, uh, if, it's, if you're a Japanese tea lover and uh, the other person is a Japanese tea lover, you can just connect. And mm. I think that there is a demand for information, for good tea, of course, but also for information about tea, because most of it is only available in Japanese. Mm. So whenever I get a chance to speak to a foreign audience, I would do so. But, and, and this time I'm here with Jetro, and right. they're probably going to take me along to the uh, U.S. again, I think. Nice. So how many, I mean, what other countries have you been to? Uh, I've been to a total of 16 countries. I've been to, uh, well, uh, the U.S. quite a lot, but apart from the U.S., I've been to um, Italy, the U.K., the Netherlands, and of course my home country, Sweden, mm. as well, uh, and um, not too many Asian countries, but uh, well, at least the Singapore and Hong Kong. Mm. Right. Well, it's interesting, right? Because that's the countries uh, where the Chinese tea dominate. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, how do you do? You think demand is. Um, Increasing for good Japanese tea? I think it's changing a lot. You know, when I was in high school, when I, when I started drinking Japanese tea, I didn't have a single friend with whom I could, you know, share my interest or my hobby. Uh, and when I, you know, set out to become a Japanese tea uh, instructor, I was kind of um, uh, unsure, kind of, kind of afraid, actually, that, uh, you know, I would be able to make a living of... Uh, doing just Japanese tea. Uh, but uh, as it happens, you know, when I, whenever I come here to the U.S. and also when, whenever you're in Europe, you realize that um, the amount of people that are interested in Japanese tea or that are drinking Japanese tea has grown a lot. And mm. especially among young people, people in their 20s and 30s, uh, a lot of people are interested in Japanese tea. And not only the tea itself, but the culture around mm. the tea and the history and everything. And so far, especially right here in New York, I've been here three times um, uh, uh, over the last year. Um, but here you would see a lot of oolong tea places, a lot of Chinese tea places, a lot of Taiwanese tea places. But, you know, the guests there, they would not only be enjoying their tea, but the teaware and everything. And I think that a lot of people want to enjoy Japanese tea as well. But so far... Um, it hasn't really been available. Mm. So, uh, but I think the time is ripe sort of to mm. spread Japanese tea even further. A lot has changed in, in the last uh, 15 years. Wow. Or so. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm just uh, curious though. Um, it's kind of like out of nowhere, but when you serve tea, you know, the shape of serving vessels, just like for wine, for instance, I, I took a riddle glass, um, you know, glass for which, for which glass you should use. It really changes, the, you know, the taste receptors, you know, how they perceive the taste, the bittersweet, you know, those um, different sensations. So does it matter for tea? To uh, it does matter. Since we were talking about uh, cold brew tea and in cold infusions before, uh, I could give you a few tips. If you're uh, sipping on a cold brew of Japanese tea, 
you should uh, use um, you should try to use white wine glasses. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, they they would be better than uh, red wine uh, red wine glasses. Um, uh, because red wine glasses has uh, quite a large surface ar- area, so um, and when you're drinking cold infusions, you want to sort of keep the tea cold for uh, for quite a while mm. to, uh, in order to uh, enjoy the tea slowly. Um, white wine glasses are sort of made to enjoy slightly cold beverages, mm. and in the case of tea, you wouldn't be um, uh, sniffing, you know, uh, the glass like uh, not uh, well. You could do that, but you, uh, you wouldn't. It doesn't have uh, the same strong aromas as mm-hmm. uh, wine has. But uh, when you, after having drunk the tea, it would sort of enter your nose mm. uh, retronasally. So you, um, or it will enter your olfactory system retronasally. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's better actually if the tea, when it, especially when it comes to cold brews, that uh, the tea is colder than body temperature. The body will warm up the tea. And mm. when that happens, you get all the aroma sort of inside your body. It, it kind of uh, rises from your throat. It sounds mm. a little bit strange, but it rises kind of from your throat and enters your olfactory system retronasally, and that's where you get all the aromas. Mm. So it's better to have cold brewed tea than room temperature tea. But then again, when you're drinking hot tea, for example, you're enjoying sort of the aroma that comes, uh, that you can jo- uh, get through the vapor. Mm-hmm. Or the, just from the front versus uh, yes. retronasal. Mm. Interesting. So so therefore, uh, hot tea, do you... Um, recommend to use the traditional Japanese ceramic? Uh, yes, uh, but uh, usually I would say that um, you should use uh, just drink tea from white china or white porcelain. Uh, when you're steeping tea, I would usually you know, recommend stoneware teapots from mm. Japan. The reason for that is that the stoneware teapots, they actually absorb some of the uh, bitterness and astringency huh. to some degree. So it makes the tea taste sort of milder. Uh, if you're using a glass teapot or uh, or a white china or white porcelain teapot, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but it will make your tea taste a little bit sharp, mm. a little bit harsh. So stoneware teapots. However, when, you, when you're drinking tea, you're already done with the steeping. So uh, usually I would recommend not a stoneware teacup, but... Um, a white china teapot because that wouldn't alter the taste. You're already done brewing after pouring the mm. uh, tea into the cup. So, uh, especially if you're using white china, you or white porcelain, you you get uh, you get to see the color of the liquor mm. as well. Right, which is important. Yes. Right. Um, so we don't get there, but asamushifukamushi. That's another way to esteem the tea. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. So when we come back, we'll talk about those things too. But uh, so. Let's talk about, you know, the um, people's palate like getting better. So the single origin tea that uh, you're into. So can you tell us about it? Oh, yeah, that's definitely my uh, favorite topic. Uh, if you like sencha, uh, you should really try a single origin or a single estate uh, sencha. Uh, the tea can be made more or less exactly in the same way but uh, it would have different uh, notes, different uh, different taste and a different aroma, depending on which cultivar mm. it is made from. Uh, for example, there is one cultivar uh, that I'm very fond of that um, uh, has a natural taste of sakura or Japanese cherry blossom. Wow. You'd almost think that there is uh, some kind of, you know, additives in there, but there's just this natural 
really? flavor from sakura. And that's just one cultivar. Mm, there, what's the name of the cultivar? Uh, actually, the cultivar was never registered, mm. so it doesn't have a proper name. It uh, goes under the name uh, Shizu um, 7132. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> the reason for that is that it was developed or um, bred at the tea research center in Shizuoka. Mm. So that's why it's called Shizu, Shizu from Shizuoka. And the 7132 was uh, sort of the number that it was given during the research stage. Mm. So most cultivars would have a name, like, for example, Yabukita, uh, Asatsu, Sofu, mm. Koshun. <laughs> yes, but uh, this particular one was never registered. Mm. Uh, but it's still grown and, well, still cultivated. And I think it's one of those cultivars that really shows... Um, the possibility of single origin Japanese tea, but then again, you have other tea cultivars that are more that have more her- herbal notes. Mm. You have some crossbreeds um, between the Indian tea plant and the Chinese tea plant. Well, most tea plants in Japan have their origin in China, but mm. uh, uh, Japan was importing tea seeds from India about 150 years ago because they wanted to make black tea, and mm. as a result, we have a lot of crossbreeds, and they have uh, a more flowery aroma mm. and they would also be stronger in astringency so there are a lot of different essentials out there right so i'm curious though even if that you know the uh, cherry flavor great tea didn't get registered or have not what's the reasons that cost or? oh well there, there are uh, a lot of reasons behind that a lot of uh, uh, tea cultivars never get registered uh, for for a lot of reasons um, or for different reasons. First of all, it since tea is uh, something that is sold as, as a beverage, well, it's sold as a dry product, but enjoyed as a beverage, it needs to taste good. Most cultivars will not taste good, actually, uh, when, uh, during the research stage, but uh, that could be one reason. This one tastes good, of course, but... Uh, it has to do with a lot of uh, things like growing conditions, for example, whether the cultivar is strong towards different diseases and uh, whether it's unique enough compared to other cultivars. And then you have other cultivars that will probably be registered. Is it worth to register this one to mm. go through all the paperwork? And this was uh, this particular cultivar was uh, not really uh, thought of su- uh, suitable for uh, the large flat tea grown regions in, mm. in the middle of Shizuoka. And actually right now, the, the places where they're uh, growing this cultivar, that would be the more mountainous, mm. uh, well, less ac- accessible parts. Right. So ah. I, th- I think the decision was kind of taken um, uh, because they were thinking about the big tea producing areas rather than the small mm. mountainous regions. That could right. uh, have been one one of the reasons. Mm, so you cannot just focus on the flavors. There's so many other pr- the, practical reasons. Yes, for example, if you have a really good tasting cultivar, but uh, it's really weak towards diseases mm. or really weak towards cold, for example, or you didn't get, you don't get um, uh, a good yield, for example, mm. uh, that would be a re- that would disqualify the cultivar from being well, but, registered. But to come to the question, like maybe you know, like French uh, wine grapes. Growing yes. in the South America, it's thriving, that kind of thing. So maybe if, um, you know, not the best cultivar in Japan planted outside Japanese soil. That could very well be possible. Yeah, if you plant it in, I don't know, Vietnam, for example. or right. uh, Well, even if when you're in other, other countries, you have uh, a lot of microclimates, like, uh, you know, all the conditions would be different from mm. place to place. But right. that can certainly be possible, yes. Right. So... 
and uh, for the same reason, um, you said a New York water is suitable to make Japanese tea? Yes. Uh, it's like another terroir question. <laughs> yes, I was very surprised. I think one big difference between uh, wine, for example, and uh, tea is that when it comes to tea, there is a steeping process and you're actually mixing tea with water. And, and that's when you finally get uh, something that you can drink. That's when you finally get a beverage. Uh, so the tea that you're drinking would inevitably uh, be affected or, um, uh, uh, well, be affected by the water quality uh, where you brew your tea. Essentially, what you're drinking would be 99.8% mm. water. Mm. And if uh, the, the area where you're steeping, where you're steeping your tea is, um, has, if that area has hard water, that is water rich in calcium or magnesium, mm. uh, you will not be able to extract the uh, aroma properly. Uh, however, New York has soft water. You know, I was very surprised to hear this when um, when I came here last year uh, for the first time. I was asking a couple of friends of mine who were doing oolong tea or Chinese tea, and I was like, "What? Well, what about the water in uh, in New York? Because I'm going to do a tea class in New York." And they were like, no, "No, the water here is fine." And I was like, "Come on, I can't, can't be true. You know, it's a big city. I, I had my prejudices, but uh, having actually tried." green tea here and not only me uh the tea and people that i uh, were uh, that i was with with that time mm-hmm. there was a tea researcher uh a tea wholesaler and also a japanese um, tea ceremony instructor we all tried different teas uh, sorry we brewed a steep japanese tea from different plastic bottles available in the market here mm. and we also used new york tap water and new york tap water was uh, mm. actually gave us the best result right. because of the hardness high mineral because of the hardness contents. yes of the low hardness yeah mm. so do you think you know japanese uh, water tend to be softer so it's crazy that you can maybe have better tea outside of Japan. Is that um, possible? Uh, it wouldn't be impossible, at least not in theory. But from my experience, uh, it's actually not only water hardness, mm. uh, but there would be other factors as well uh, affecting the, um, the taste uh, of the tea. Mm. So, um, well, hardness is maybe the most important one, but there are a lot of other minerals that sort of... Um, Mm. Uh, alter the taste of the tea and from my experience so far the best water for tea would be uh, water uh, from a water source close to where the tea has actually grown mm. for some reason I think this probably has to do with the minerals in the water that right. it, uh, the mineral content would be similar to mm. uh, the actual tea leaves and I don't know the science behind that though so I can support that with any um, scientific proof but from my experience and i think a lot of uh, tea mm. uh, people in the tea industry in japan would agree with uh, me on this one uh, well the tea would taste better the closer you get to mm. where it's actually grown and um, uh, that means that there is still a reason to go and visit japan right. and it's something <laughs> that any tea lover should do mm, perfect conclusion yes. yeah. for that <laughs> <laughs> that is true yeah um okay and uh so you have your own uh, tea brand now, yes. right? So uh, that's called uh, Oscar Brokell's Tea Selection. Yes. Uh, what is it? Well, I'm specializing in um, uh, single estate Japanese tea. Uh, most of the tea uh, that is available in Japan would be blends. Uh, so 
what I want to do is that I want to offer consumers a single estate tea that can sort of be drunk and enjoyed, just like a single vineyard wine, for example, or a single mm-hmm. malt whiskey, if you like. Uh, I want to offer uh, consumers or tea lovers uh, something like that, mm. uh, especially if you're an essential lover. Uh, you want to explore uh, different cult- cultivars in different uh, regions, and you want to appreciate sort of or uh, enjoy the differences. Mm. Uh, and all the teas that I'm um, selling would be... Um, uh, carefully steamed orthodox sinchas. Mm. Um, so steamed for a very short time. If you steam your tea leaves for a long time, you lose a lot of aroma. But then mm. again, you end up with a milder tea. So if uh, so, there is a point in steaming tea for a long time. But especially if you want to retain uh, all the natural aroma, and especially the aromas peculiar to the cultivars, mm. the tea should be steamed very carefully and only for a short time. Mm. Well, I actually visited your um, the website of this tea selection, and uh, I, I read, for instance, uh, the tea, that's the, uh, the product, Love at the First Sip. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing that uh, you really describe beautifully. It's a floral, and there is a um, cinnamon flavor that yes. you can detect in Yatsuhashi. Yatsuhashi. Oh, sweet yes, the, from Kyoto. Yes, and I—it's not just a cinnamon. Right? The yatsuhashi and cinnamon is much deeper, and yeah. it's com- more mummy-rich flavor. So, yeah, I really wanted to <laughs> try this tea as caution. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. So I hope you can come back and talk more because um, I would love to definitely. Right. So next time you come to New York, uh, let us know. Uh, so where can you find your information? Um, I. Th- I don't have a web page in English yet um, because I'm mo- mo- uh, most of my activities would be um, in Japan, but I'm working on that. But I think the easiest way to follow me is to find me on Instagram. I'm using my uh, family name, so it's B R E K E L L Brickell. Okay, my username. Right. So Instagram uh, Brickell. So that's great. So uh, thank you so much, and uh, thank you very much to, for having me. Yeah, we'll see you again here. So thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikodema.com. And uh, Japanese is live on 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer today is Ajit Paul. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.